Welcome to Pitch It, the fintech startups podcast. One founder, one startup, one investor at a time. I'm your host, Todd Anderson, Chief Product Officer, Lended Fintech. This week's episode is sponsored by Zendesk. Start building trust from day one. The Zendesk for Startups program gives you easy-to-use and secure solutions you need to manage your sales pipeline, support your customers, and scale your fintech. Benefits of the program include engaging with the exclusive startup community on Zendesk of founders and partners for advice, connections, and events, and using the Zendesk technology will allow you to connect with customers and prospects across chat, email, social media, and phone, all in one centralized location. Qualified startups will get Zendesk for free for six months. To qualify, you must have raised venture funding up to and before Series A, have fewer than 50 employees, and be a new Zendesk customer. For more details, please check out the link in the show notes, which will bring you to Zendesk for Startups. On episode 21, I talk with Martin Sock and Mikhail Amer of Lightyear. Lightyear is a simple and approachable way to invest your money globally without unnecessary barriers and fees. We saw just a huge influx of retail investors the last 18 months, not only here in the US, but around the world. And when thinking about those retail investors, you know, not all markets are equal. There are some that have better technology, some that have worse, some that have high fees, some that have no fees. And really what Lightyear is looking to do is help, right now at least, UK-based retail investors gain access to U.S. markets. Martin, Mikkel, and I discuss why they decided to start with the U.S. markets, the impact of Robinhood on their business, not only on what it means for the business, but also the awareness of trading overall, their future roadmap, raising money, and a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Martin and Mikkel. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. So just for a, a quick introduction, if you can just tell the audience a little bit about yourselves, professional background, where were you before uh, starting Lightyear? Firstly, for me, my name is Mikkel. For the last 10 years, I've been working on financial services technology uh, from different angles. I started my career actually with UBS Investment Bank in London, where I was building um, trading systems and equity research systems. And then I joined a company called TransferWise, who is uh, now called WISE, uh, fairly early stage. And I was building also software there, building also teams. So initially it was all about international expansion and later on also new products, including the multi-currency account and the debit card. My name is Martin. Uh, I actually met Mikkel in, in TransferWise. I joined when we had only a handful of people there and we tried to figure out like, how do you move money across the borders? And like the official uh, kind of job description was pretty vague at that time because nobody really know 
what kind of jobs needs to be done, like everything needs to be done. But I ended up and settled on a product job. So I led product development, but also occasionally led operations team. And uh, in the end of my transverse career, I somehow ended up also in a leading people's teams like HR and internal, uh, how do you manage the people and how to make them happy. Did you both eventually always want to start your own company? Have you always kind of had that entrepreneurial bug and, hey, I'm eventually going to get there? Or was this something that you've kind of found a problem and it kind of just sparked from there? I can talk to myself, but like the people who transferize employee are often this entrepreneurial, try to figure out how to solve the problem, how to go deep, understanding what's, what's broken in the world and uh, making this kind of extra effort of solving these problems. And I think the lighter idea came from not that we're going to sit down and figure out like we're going to do a business, but it was more about sitting in a cafe. We both have been investing like whole our lives and trying to figure out like why the investing is so broken. And at one end, we, we just tried to figure out the best solution. And when we didn't find the solution, then we ended up like, hey, we should solve that because it's actually pretty similar to the idea what TransferWise has been solving is that take the global financial markets and make it approachable, make it that everybody has an access, everybody has equal access to that and make it good in a cost base and the usability base and so on. We ended up just solving the problem for ourselves. Before we jump into exactly what Lightyear is going to offer, how did you come to the, the name of Lightyear? Like investing has to be Lightyear better than it is right now. So we just in- incorporated that into our name. All right. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Sometimes I hear these funny stories about how people came to a a company name. Yesterday, I interviewed someone that was um, the most pronunciated name that was short enough that they found in a Latin dictionary. And it had nothing to do with the product. So people come from lots of different places to find their company names. So for the listeners, what is the Lightyear product offering and, and who is the target customer? We started solving our own problem. And the, the problem was pretty simple. In Europe, you have limited access to the global markets. And if you do have an access, then it's incredibly expensive. Then you're getting over these kind of boundaries. You look into how do you interact with these markets, then it's incredibly complicated. It's cognitively hard hard to understand where you need to invest. How do you get the data? How do you understand? Are you making the right decisions or whatnot? So like in a really simplified manner, we want to solve that problem. We're doing that in Europe. So I think in the US is a little bit ahead of Europe, something like a couple of decades. Uh, the way our Europeans are investing, what kind of products we have here and so on. So it's like fragmented market. We need to constantly go through the different sets of fees like FX fee. You need to convert money constantly because Europe has so many different currencies and a lot of people invest in the US markets. And then you have local markets and uh, access to these local markets and the US market, like a lot of people still investing in the US. So there's a lot of complicated, fragmented market. So the simple answer is that we want to solve, make investing really, really good for Europeans who are struggling with this fragmentation in the local market. You know, in terms of a little bit more about how the product works, are you working with various partners on like trade execution, clearing? How does some of that, you know, part of uh, the product work? And then, you know, why start with, uh, I was reading some of the stuff on your website with access to the US markets versus some of the access to say UK and, and European markets? So our MVP, as you mentioned, is giving access um, to UK customers, um, to access UK, US stocks. 
And uh, for that, uh, we're partnering up with a US-based broker dealer right now. So that's essentially the first phase. But um, this is based on like customer demand, what we're seeing and what the customers are looking for is that the biggest companies right now are trading trading in the US. And that's also what uh, people are interested in um, buying and selling. Our next phase will also involve uh, more European local instruments. So in terms of potential opportunity, what does the retail investor appetite look like in the UK and Europe more broadly? I mean, I, I've seen what a company like Robinhood and, and others have done here in the US. Is that type of demand there in Europe and the UK? And, and, and you're looking to kind of tap into some of that? The market is even more interesting here at the moment. In the US, like you mentioned, you have lot of different providers and the market has been maturing quite a bit. In Europe, you're missing a lot of that. So the kind of what people have figured out, how to do a good execution, how to do good pricing and everything, that's largely missing. So what we see right now in European markets, if you're making an improvement here to the level what's, for example, in the US, then it's a massive difference. And like this is something what European customers rarely see at the moment. So I can give you an example. Like I have a handful of various bank accounts and like banks are still most mostly used uh, in Europe to invest. So this kind of the broker situation, online broker stuff is there, but like so not so prominent than in the US. Like I, I went to my bank, I took my 100 euros, uh, converted these 100 euros to dollars, paid 1% of that because like if you want to invest in the US market, you need to do that. Then I went and bought uh, Twitter stock. So I managed to buy one stock because... Like I can't buy fractionals in my bank. So I paid something like 15 euros for that trade. So now uh, going back, selling the stock and converting back to the euros, I'm losing massive chunk of my money. So this is something what's like weird right now in the markets. If you're able to remove that FX cost, if you're able to eliminate the transactional cost and all this, then you're making a massive difference for European customers, something what they haven't seen here in a kind of large scale at the moment. Yeah, I mean, from what you describe, it sounds like you start with a hundred, but you're really starting with like you know sixty or seventy-five dollars, and you're investing that, and so you already have to make 40 percent back just to break even, and probably more because of the fees on the other side when you're selling as well, and so you're starting pretty far behind. So that's the thing what we see right now is that a lot of people are starting behind. Like this is an extreme example when you're trying to invest. 100 euros or something like that. But it kind of shows in a way like the market incentivizes people to invest large chunks of money, collect money and invest them in one go. So you know, the transaction fees have a less impact of your investment because say, effectively you have to be longer on the market to gain back that amount. And if you need to gain back like 30%, it's quite a long time. So how do we get into the position where people are has a better starting point. So effectively, what we want to solve is that how everybody can invest and be exposed to the global markets. So that's the main goal. Like, how do you have this exposure so you can start growing your wealth and do that in a normal way so that you can invest in 100 euros or maybe 300 euros at the time and diversify that? Right now, taking 100 euros and diversifying that to 10 stocks, then you have no money left effectively. Like, how do you get into this normal investment behavior over a long period of time? And this is something what we are after. Of, like, how do we get people effectively managing their own portfolios in a cost-saving ways? Now, in the U.S., 
prior to Robinhood and some others, most people that invested invested through an ETF, a mutual fund, a 401k. Is it similar in Europe in the sense that they're investing through certain vehicles versus owning individual or groups of individual stocks? Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. So that ETF penetration in Europe is actually quite a bit lower than in US. Uh, the numbers are way lower. But what we're seeing is higher uptake um, of ETFs in the recent years, and definitely passive is um, gaining counter. When it comes to overall like market, total addressable market in the UK is about 2.4 trillion pounds, which is like fairly large. Yet only small proportion of the overall kind of population invests today. So where we see kind of the biggest opportunities. Um, People who don't invest today actually start investing. In terms of the different countries in Europe dealing with U.S. markets, how complicated is it with you know potential different requirements in different countries, different standards, different regulations? You know how complicated is that web uh, when looking to um, give customers access to various markets? It is difficult. Nobody has done that. There are some companies who have like barely done that, but their products are already coming from the US and have incredibly hard to use in Europe. So it's like more a kind of professional traders and these have some, some access. The problem is it has like multiple angles. So starting from the regulatory overview. So you have to have multiple licenses to cover whole Europe. And then uh, Europe has this concept of passporting the license, what you can use one European license in another country, you still have this kind of quirks of the local country. So that's kind of regulatory world, but you still have various currencies, the various ways how you actually fund your account. Then you have all various cultures, People speak in different languages. The way they see financial markets are that they're different. So you have maybe Norwegian, Nordic region versus Germany and France. The ways they are kind of interacting with the public markets are totally different. So some of them are more cautious, some of them are more brave. The way they are uh, actually saving money or investing is, again, different. So effectively, to build European products, you need to figure out all the countries and how who are these people there and then deliver the product to these people. This fragmentation is definitely there. In looking at some of the stuff on the web and on your website, you make a point to obviously talk about no fees, but how do you make money? When we start like thinking about like how do we do investing and what's inside of the in, uh, in this investing, then it's, it was like a fascinating journey to make it all into granular and figure out what are all the bits and pieces there. And if you start looking into what's the actual cost of making a trade. So you have to execute and pay for that. And then set clearing and settlements, custody, and then you're moving the money around and liquidity questions and overhead. So if you're taking that, then you can see that you can do it relatively cheaply. If you're able to grow into the large scale business, a lot of these costs would drop off. So a lot of these costs are coming in from the concept that you have this Basically, an onion, like people are reselling, packaging and reselling services. So if you're getting into close to the markets, close to the actual accounts and everything, then you can do it relatively low cost. So our approach has been simple. So we are driving towards the line where we can remove all or practically all the costs from the system. And on top of that, we try to build a, this kind of premium model where you have a parts of the system what are basically free for use because the costs are relatively low. And then 
people who want to use product in a more personalized manner, they want to use other types of news feeds or whatnot, then these people will get different type of product. So we are charging for this personalization, the more advanced type of product. So if you're asking, when are we charging that? We haven't built that yet. So first and foremost, we need to build baseline service that everybody gets this good access, good pricing, good info, uh, and all this stuff. And then on top of that, we're starting building a specialized products on top of that. That makes sense. So does the success of someone like Robinhood, does that help hurt the company and potential trajectory long-term? Obviously, Robinhood has had some issues related to regulatory or you know, there was the issue that they had when they stopped the selling of trades or the buying of trades, excuse me. But does the success of a company like that you know, help or hurt your trajectory long-term, you think? I think it helps for sure. So there are more people investing now, both in US and Europe than ever before. And that is definitely great. However, there are also some downsides. What's important is now helping to educate those people that customers can also make uh, informed investment decisions and um, helping people understand their investments as much as possible, especially those with uh, less experience. Uh, but overall, I do think it helps. Yeah, I think like in, in many ways, it's actually amazing. Last week, I spoke to a couple of banks and uh, they were like, they had wide eyes and trying to figure out like, how can you improve this service what we have here? It's like, it's not super expensive and like people are using it. And like, I think this kind of broken mindset that's the reason why the investing is broken. People are not challenging into the core bones. Like, what is the cost basis? How people making these decisions? How do they actually manage their portfolios and whatnot? So, in that sense, like challenges on, on the market are definitely beneficial. And like in one way or another, this problem has to be solved globally. So, if there are inspirations across the bond or even local competitors here, we are actually super happy to see that. Any thoughts on? crypto and where that space is today and potentially adding that to the offering sometime in the near, medium, or long-term future? Everybody is super excited about crypto. Crypto is today a lot of excitement around that. A lot of people are playing around and trying to make sense out of it. It's definitely one sector where people invest. So when we are looking into what our customers want to get an access or how they want to interact, and there are Crypto, there's a real estate question, bonds, public markets, options, whatnot. It's like the specter is huge. So what we are targeting at the moment is the big, biggest problem today is access of public markets in US and Europe. So this is the main focus, the main, main problem we're solving. Where we end up after that, we'll see. So I wanted to shift a little bit. You obviously launched during the pandemic. You know, how has that been? I mean, you've both worked for high growth companies previously. How has the launch been? How big is the team? You know, has there been a you know kind of a, a significant down or or upside in, in terms of the pandemic for you guys? We started our business in two different countries during the pandemic where everybody was in the lockdown. So that was um, it was a fun journey, but like lucky for us, we had lots of good people who are like really, really good at the stuff what they're doing and are really passionate of the, like solving the same problem what we are after. Then uh, we managed to grow a team to 14 people 
They are split between uh, London, UK, where we have headquarters, and uh, Tallinn, Estonia. So that is the place where TransferWise or WISE has the biggest office. So we are mixing these teams, hiring in both of these teams. Doesn't really matter. So can't say that we are a fully remote company. We, we still love to come to the office, but we have this kind of idea of flex working that a lot of us have a babies. Uh, they can go and spend time with them. They don't need to be in office constantly. Uh, you can travel between countries to see other people have this kind of flexibility around working. But at the same time, I'm definitely a believer of growing a startup in a way that you can take team next to the whiteboard and figure out like, how do you actually solve this complicated puzzle and figure it out and build it. So what we do right now is that we are working, we have an offices, so people actually go into the offices. Uh, we often try to kind of move between countries. It has been a little bit more difficult, but it seems that like all the vaccinations and everything, it borders are opening up, so it's uh, getting easier again. When we start looking into who are the people in our team, then today we have this interesting situation where we have a large portion of wise people, the people who have built global remittance business and understand how the financial markets work. Then we uh, had a couple of superstars from Revolut who have done the similar thing uh, in the UK. Then we have Pipedrive, another uh, unicorn who is doing uh, CRM management systems, people joining from there. Also one from Robinhood uh, who's working and one who was half, half working or investor in our company. So it's an interesting set of skills here. Well, certainly it's getting people from the right fintech companies, that's for sure. So I saw you raised a little bit of seed funding. How was investor appetite? And then, you know, obviously right now is quite a hot time in, in fintech funding. Any advice for other founders who might be thinking about raising money from some outside investors? We didn't have like too much trouble at the moment, like raising money. But I think the, the question wasn't so much of the hot topic or anything, but like we were incredibly focused on solving this problem and like the problem is huge at the moment so effectively we all our investors invested in the team and uh, and the way the team solves the problems so i think that's like finding that your passion finding the uh, the good solution on the market and like being really practical how do you solve the problem that's kind of the key our first investors came from friends basically we had TransferWise founder David Hinrikus and Skype founder Jan Tallinn. And then we have a handful of a uh, little bit smaller investors who are incredibly knowledgeable, like how the some parts of this business work, like TransferWise CT, uh, CMO Joe Cross, or Wander Rutgers, who was uh, Robin Hood UK head of, and like trying to figure out like how to have this best knowledge in here because. The market is huge, lots of stuff needs to be built, and uh, we try to figure out like who are the most like best people to surround us, and uh, these people are definitely incredibly useful. So we have um, just a few minutes left. I'd like to end uh, with some fun. Do you have a favorite book, uh, both of you? And then uh, do you have uh, the last book you read? If you don't, or if you're not big readers, then maybe a podcast or some other medium that you guys uh, consume information. I can go first. I'm reading a lot of space junk sci-fi stuff. Uh, if you haven't read the Bobbyverse, then go and read that. That's amazing. Uh, I'll go with uh, Ben Graham here. It's classic. Do you have favorite sport? I presume soccer. No, like no. I have no idea. I would say volleyball. I'm doing this weird thing like ultra running. So. 
if uh, if the pain at work is not enough, then I go and try to run. <laughs> Final question is uh, your biggest inspiration in life. Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. I'm massively fascinated by the people who are able to create some impact in the world. So there's lots of business leaders, lots of people who are like not afraid to be weird, but essentially having an opinion and making essentially like don't care about money or whatnot, but more about like how do you actually solve something, something that makes other people's lives better. So that's like my constant flow of inspiration. Yeah, so what inspires me is, um, I would say, positive outcomes. And if you see that your actions are positive outcomes, so in the context of the product, so seeing that customers are using the product and customers are benefiting from that product, that's um, most inspiring for me. And like, I think in a wise example has been like really cool where like students have been like, I'm going to school uh, and I need to pay a lot of money for that. And now I'm in this situation where I need to transfer this money and like the banks are taking a big chunk of that. And this is cool where you can solve this problem. And this is it's not the money transfer problem. It's more about like, how people live and like you improve their lives. And that's cool. Well, Martin and Mikkel, I, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I wish you, the team at Lightyear, continued success, and, and hopefully we'll get you um, back sometime in the future. Definitely. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Todd. Yep. Thanks so much, guys. This week's episode is sponsored by Zendesk. Start building trust from day one. The Zendesk for Startups program gives you easy-to-use and secure solutions you need to manage your sales pipeline, support your customers, and scale your fintech. Benefits of the program include engaging with the exclusive startup community on Zendesk of founders and partners for advice, connections, and events, and using the Zendesk technology will allow you to connect with customers and prospects across chat, email, social media, and phone, all in one centralized location. Qualified startups will get Zendesk for free for six months. To qualify, you must have raised venture funding up to and before Series A, have fewer than 50 employees, and be a new Zendesk customer. For more details, please check out the link in the show notes, which will bring you to Zendesk for Startups. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Pitch It the Fintech Startups Podcast. I encourage you to take a few minutes to write a review or rate the episode. Ratings and reviews both help us to improve the show for future episodes. If you're interested in learning more or would like to be considered for a future episode, please reach out anytime to Todd, T-O-D-D, at lendit.com. And until next time.